So we're recording now, but I can cut anywhere we need to. But um, actually, patients love the podcast room. They're like, you do a podcast? Like, what's it about? Teeth? I'm like, yeah. Like, oh, you're the best dentist in the world. So I don't use it as a consultation room. Okay, so these are permanent fixtures. Permanent fixtures, yeah. kind of cool. I we, think cons- consultation rooms are kind of passe, really? right? Do you guys yeah. use them? I don't know what the word passe means. Not really. Like, people don't use them anymore. So we have them. I Here, use bring them. your mic just a little bit closer. The word passe is passe. <laughs> so you can, like, up oh, and down. Up like, and down. Yeah. So even if, like, imagine, like, I don't know if you ever kissed your girlfriend, but you get pretty. No. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done that yet. Good. It's only been a year. If your mom, yeah, if your mom's listening. I know. Slow down. Jeez. Jeez. I'm a little traditional. <laughs> <laughs> you guys live together? More or less. Okay. Officially, but yeah, she's I've been. always over. You know, um, not address change official, yeah. but, you know. She's always hanging around. Yeah, it's great. She's yeah. obviously invited. So. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> Here, bringing up just one more notch. Yeah, sure. I'll help you. This takes me back to my studio recording days for my music career. Wait, seriously? No. <laughs> Wait, so you're DDS, MD, PhD, and used to be a rapper? Right. Get out of here. Yeah. So we're on episode 27. Wow. We have Michigan's best oral surgeon, DDS, MD, male model for Calvin Klein. That's very nice. <laughs> for the 27th. For the episode, yeah. So subjectively, the best. <laughs> no, I think you're the best. I really do. Oh, I um, appreciate that. All my patients come back, and I use your group a lot, and everyone at your group is really good clinically, they do say that you have the best bedside manner. And you do. Oh, you really do. You. Um, have you used Archie before or did you? No, I think you were, you came in after I was already Correct. retired. So 18. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's I, when I sold my yeah. practice, 18. So I may have known you as a resident yeah. by name. Actually, we had an attending, uh, John Gall. Yeah. And yeah. Surgeon. I always yeah. assumed that you guys were related. We're not actually. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've learned that, mm-hmm. but then you had your office right on Rochester Road, and I was like, "Oh, that must yeah. be Dr. Gall's daughter." Yeah. That but name it, actually has been good to me though, because people think people have thought I'm related to him, and it served me well. Oh um, yeah. You had a good reputation. You never. I, really. Yeah. I always tell them, "I'm like, we're not related, but we're friends." You know, I I went to his retirement party, oh, and he's a nice. good guy, and. He's a great guy. He was kind of a pioneer in oral surgery on some, you, you must know that. Absolutely. Um, Cosmetic so surgery. Not bad to share yeah. a name with someone like that. If he was like, you know, if it was like a hack, I'd be like, we're not related. I don't know this guy. But now I'm just bill, like, we're, we could <laughs> yeah. be related. I don't know. You know. Somewhere so. in historically maybe. Right. Related, yeah, but. it's possible. So if you have an MD, you did six years after dental school? Correct. So that's different from Leslie who was here. Who You, got, you guys are friends. Yeah. She has great. a... Just a DMD. Um, she's probably MS too, like a master. No, she said or? no. Yeah, oh. I don't think so. I think okay. uh, some historically the masters plays a role. Like in the older programs, uh, when they used to be three years, they would have a sometimes a master's component with it. Not sure how beneficial that is, but um, that doesn't apply to nowadays usually. Because Thomas has an MS, yeah, right? He yeah, he does. But, you know, he finished residency in like 86 or 87. And, uh, 18. 1887. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, Sorry, he was in a three-year program. So after dental school, just three years. Three years. And then he, I'm not sure where the master's fit in, but it was done during that time. There was the St. John program. Uh, There's three residents, three years, and that's it. So knowing what wow. you know now about oral surgery, can you be taught what you do now in three years after dental school? I would say no. There's no way. There's no way. There's too much. The scope has just 
broaden drastically. I mean, you almost have to learn it afterwards, which a lot of guys yeah. did. They went and did fellowships and courses across the country to sometimes people flew overseas. You know, the pioneers of the field, Dr. McIntosh, you know, one of them, trained at Henry Ford, was Henry Ford program director. He used to go to the Europe and uh, operate with OB Gazer and like the greats, the pioneers of maxillofacial surgery, transitioning the name from oral surgery to giving us the name oral and maxillofacial surgery with mainly the corrective jaw surgery stuff, the orthodontic surgery. And Dr. McIntosh, one of the pioneers. So a lot of these guys that finished in the 70s and 80s fought pretty hard for that uh, maxillofacial title and uh, they do extra training elsewhere to bridge the gaps and figure out what they want to do. But now it's pretty much all in house. Okay. So you can, the medical school obviously component is just the medical school. You're a run of the mill medical student while you're there. So it doesn't really. Are there no clinicals during those two years? So what does a six year right. look so like I'm, compared to four year? I'll walk you through the track for me personally. Uh, things have always changed. The programs are always different. Sometimes you finish dental school and then you join right in with the medical school. So you don't hit the ground. You don't. Oh my God. Two more years clinical. of. Right. So oh you jump God. right into med school. Uh, sometimes it's three years. It just depends on what program you're part of and what that medical so school. So four years of dental school, then to the second two years of medical school. Is that what you're Essentially, saying? Essentially. So for okay. me, the program that I joined back in 2012 we did an intern year. So it's a first year of residency where I know uh, Leslie talked at length about what it takes to be an intern. Basically yeah. you're the Scott monkey. You run around all these hospitals, take care of all the consults, set up the rooms and ORs and see patients. And you're working like a hundred hours a week. You learn a lot. It's a very steep learning curve. So you're running all the time and doing a whole host of uh, small bedside procedures. You're reading all the time, trying to not get uh, your butt kicked by your attendings, but not, not knowing anatomy or surgical mm -hmm. approaches. Wow. You do that for about 12, 13 months, and then I matriculated to Wayne State's medical school as a second-year medical student. At the time, they recognized my dental training to at least give me credit for one year. So I joined the second-year class, and every med student, I was a run-of-the-mill med student, did you feel prepared to be second-year med student after four years of dental school? Absolutely. Okay. I think it was, um, I wouldn't say I was like cocky, but I was ready. Yeah. And it uh, kind of just ran right in. The tough part was going from running around, working 100 hours a day to being a student again. And it's like 20, 30 hours a week almost, yeah. some, you know, and it you just have to find hobbies and things to do. Really? So you're yeah. in medical school and you're actually looking for things to fill your time. Right. It was uh, impressive to say how much we slowed down and you're almost kind of looking forward to it at the end of the first intern year. And you get to med school, you're just like everyone else. The med students there have never seen you before. Wayne State's a relatively big school, 300 mm -hmm. kids per student. That's big class. Or per class, excuse yeah. me. And um, so you jump in, everyone's like, oh, have, you start doing labs and things like that, uh, like microbiology lab and pathophysiology labs. So you're there more, but no one's seen you before. And they're like, oh, you must be a streamer because streaming was a relatively new phenomenon. You could literally sit in your house and stream all the lectures at Wayne State. Oh, pre-COVID? Pre-COVID. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so this is that back entire in, first year. Yeah, 2012, 2013. Okay. And so they just assumed the three OMFS residents 
were just streamers and run-of-the-mill med students. Then we kind of like they knew who the three people were eventually, mm-hmm. and every year there's just another three people that come in from the residency program. So run-of-the-mill med student, and then after the second year, I took USMLE Step One. Um, after you pass that, then you move on to third year where you're doing your clerkships, hospital clerkships. So you do two months of medicine, two months of uh, surgery, two months of OBGYN, neurology, psychiatry. And you're just, as a med student, wearing a short white coat, shirt and tie, scrubs if you're on surgery. And then you're just like every other med student. You're kind of like working the eight to four, eight to five shifts, you go home and that's it. And then every month you take a shelf examination to make sure you know your stuff. And then you take step two. There's two parts to it, a clinical and a written part. And then you go to your fourth year and that's kind of when they left us go back to our service. So then you don't, then you do oral and maxillofacial surgery again with anesthesia for that whole fourth year. So it's kind of nice. And then you're graduated med student. So I started in 2013, graduated in 16. So you have your MD then? Right. Okay. So once you get the MD, then you have to do a year of general surgery. And in certain states, you need one year of post-grad after medical school to have an active medical license. Some states, two. So Michigan is one of those states you require two months, I believe. So uh, our sixth year of, of residency is pretty heavy on surgery, so they consider that a post-grad year. Is that called P, like PGY? Is that when you see right, that? Okay, exactly. So when you're a PGY, technically one is when I started, and then you skip a couple of years, and we just still call ourselves PGY-4s, 5s, and 6s by the time we're graduating. So we get those two years of accreditation, active medical license for life, assuming you maintain it uh, wait so you don't have to take medicals to eat to keep your medical license i do you do both dental and i take dental and medicals (laughs) how many credits a year does medical require so i think it's three years and it's 150 holy crap we're like 60 for yeah and it's 60 for dentist dds for i think a two-year period three-year period three years so yeah i do 150 medical ce's and then another 60 dental every and you have to to keep that have to do it yeah i find it's relatively easy because i pretty close with the residency program. I'm mm-hmm. on staff at the hospital. So there's a lot of opportunities for me to acquire a CE if I choose to track it. Which which hospital are you on staff? So I'm on staff at Ascension Hospital okay. Systems. So I mainly cover Macomb, which okay. is at 12 and Hoover, and then down in Detroit, Gross Point, okay. uh, and then at Beaumont, Royal Oak. Okay. Is, is Crittenton now Ascension in yeah. Rochester? It is. Okay. It's kind of interesting. Crittenton uh, is a hospital in Rochester, but it's... Uh, it's now called Ascension Providence Rochester. Okay. Which I would assume they would call it like Ascension Crittenden or something. Yeah. yeah. But it's kind of, uh, I don't have access there. It's kind of strange. That's like the only Ascension hospital I don't have any access to. So, What would happen if you decided to drop your MD just for some crazy reason? Could you still work at Summit Oral Surgery? Oh, of course. Yeah. So like, it's like Dr. Phil, like you don't have to maintain your you know, certification, right. Or Dr. Yeah. Oz or whatever, but, uh, you can still have the letters. Like you always have that medical degree or your dental degree, even if you're not an active right. license and I could still work as an oral maxillofacial surgeon because of my training and residency. So you'd still have to then take the dental CE. Correct. Cause you don't have to have an MD. You don't. So the surgical training is the same. Okay. Essentially. I mean, 
depends on the program you go to. Some are trauma heavy, some are you know orthognathic heavy, some are dental alveolar heavy, TMJ mm-hmm. heavy, so on and so forth. So the scope of practice is depends on where, what surgical program you're in. Whether okay. it's four year, six year, doesn't make a difference as far as your training. It's a good program or a bad program, right? Or okay program. Yeah. That's what dictates what you really can do uh, afterwards. Having okay. the medical degree is just kind of a a bolster. You know, when they kind of began the six year program, uh, they didn't know if the field was going to change uh, politically, you know, litigation wise, you mm-hmm. know. Do people want uh, more staff privileges? Do heavy-duty surgery, cancer, cosmetics, and so on and so forth? So it all mm-hmm. it comes in handy. You never know what's going to happen with anesthesia, so it's it helps to have that medical degree, in my opinion. Doesn't hurt. I definitely can't hurt, and I'm sure I know your. It's opi- impressive. I know your opinion, and yeah. I'm impressed. Um, <laughs> and so there's young dentists listening to this, and anything you say, it won't offend them. Oh yeah. We, we asked <laughs> Leslie her opinion on this. What's your opinion on a dentist taking? a weekend course and IV sedation and going back to their office and killing all their patients. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say this, you know, it's a, it's a delicate subject because the training is, is the key, right? So yeah. a weekend course, in my opinion, is not adequate. Obviously what we do to get our accreditation, we do about five to six months, depending on the program you're mm-hmm. at of dedicated anesthesia. So you're an anesthesia resident, so you do, I did four of general adult anesthesia at the hospital and you go in every day, you're intubating patients every single day, running your own rooms uh, with supervision from the medical anesthesiologist. And of course the CRNAs that are there to kind of help and whatnot, but you're running the anesthesia machine, managing the patient from an acute critical care standpoint. And then on top of that, we do two additional months of pediatric anesthesia at Children's Hospital. So those are very valuable as well because pediatric patients and adult patients are vastly different as mm-hmm. far as their physiology. So it's hefty training, you know. I wouldn't that's say scary. it's overkill. I think that's no, scary. No, thank if you. Under trained. I'm not doing pediatric. Area. I know. And no way. It's kind of is it the Wild West now with sedation and dentistry in Michigan? It's again delicate subject because you know if you're you're the the buck stops with you. Right. So if something happens, you're on the hook, whether or not you have a CRNA in your office. I don't think dentists know that. I'm glad you said that because a lot of dentists will come to me and say, well, no, I have a CRNA, so I'm off the hook. No. Their nursing license does not help you if someone dies in your chair. Unfortunately, it doesn't. I mean, they're kind of changing the laws a little bit that CRNAs may be able to provide anesthesia care independently of a medical anesthesiologist, but that's more in remote areas. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Sure. It's still kind of bad press, though, if somebody passes away between two crown press. Right, the ASA, exactly. Right. So the ASA is kind of fighting against letting CRNAs practice independently. You know, mm-hmm. it's like if you're going to get a colonoscopy and then there's no medical anesthesiologist on site and something happens. You do colonoscopies here, right? All the time, yeah. Well, I'm yeah. on a network, so it's easier. Yeah. <laughs> Don't call me for the anesthesia. We did one yesterday. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> Is that what we're doing? So at any point, so I have a kid I went to school with. He ended up becoming a, not a plastic surgeon, but a cosmetic surgeon. Okay. So in his med school training, he like switched specialties. So he went to medical school. He went to dental school first. Okay. 
medical school and then not a true plastic surgeon. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So he did oral maxillofacial surgery and then did a fellowship. And and then now he does boob implants and butt lifts. Right. So but he's are, not a plastic surgeon. No, because there isn't there a difference between a plastic surgeon and a cosmetic yeah. surgeon? Yeah, absolutely. They're not they're yeah. not a member of the board. Yeah. And yes. they don't have a they're not you're, a specialist. So what's your right. so yeah. I guess two questions. At any point in your oral facial career or schooling, can you switch paths and be like a psychiatrist? So that's a good question. It's a two-headed question. So I'll start with the plastics and reconstructive surgery. So they go through extensive training in PRS. Basically, there's a couple routes. You can do five years of general surgery and then do a three-year dedicated plastics and uh, reconstructive surgery fellowship, or they consider it residency in some areas. So is that a facial plastic surgeon or just a plastic surgeon? General. Okay. Wait, so that's eight years of training after medical school? Yeah. God, you're that's like 40 when you get out. Now, there's another route. 40. I believe it's so five or six years. <laughs> I think DMC does it. They have uh, basically it's five years where you do some general surgery and then plastics and reconstructive surgery. And if you want to do hand surgery or, you know, super specialize in something like uh, cleft craniofacial, microvascular, then you got to do additional fellowships and hmm. years. So we have a guy at Beaumont that, uh, phenomenally well-trained he does cases from across the world he's like world-renowned surgeon and he did general surgery then plastics and reconstructive surgery so that's like eight years right there then he did a craniofacial fellowship that's another year it's nine and he did a microvascular reconstructive surgery that's 10 years i'm pretty sure that's when he decided to call it quits and that yeah. was but that was the best in the world so it's gotta be all the know? income you lost for those 10 years of training you probably gained back in two years He's an amazing surgeon. Yeah. So, I mean, you can tell. And he's grown this plastics department at the hospital. That's what gets you that extra tra- uh, that training gets you. You know, you you build your skills and then you you have the reputation to back it up. And it goes with that across the board. So to answer your question, like if you're doing oral and maxillofacial surgery residency, say you do six years, right? You have your medical degree. It opens up avenues for you to do other stuff like head and neck cancer, right? So... Uh, if you do head and neck cancer, that's an additional one to two years of fellowship where you do an ablative surgery and reconstruction. That's uh, microvascular. So that gives you the ability to do a lot more and then be hospital-based and then become like a national circuit lecturer and things mm-hmm. like that. That's how you get your name out there, I feel. And you can do cleft and craniofacial out of residency as well. And there's cosmetic fellowships as well. So that's a year cosmetic surgery. They kind of toe the line on cosmetic versus plastic surgery. Well, it's technically plastic surgery. Right. You're cosmetically, or you're a cosmetic surgeon, right? So you can't really broadcast yourself as a plastic surgeon because you're not able to get boarded in plastic and reconstructive surgery, which is the key difference. So you can do facelifts, breast implants, uh, reconstruction, butt lifts, and stuff like that. If you you're could trained. do all that, I cannot. Okay, but if you're trained to do it, you can. You go to these fellowships, usually one to two years, usually mm-hmm. one, I'll say. There are actually some that are CODA accredited, which is the governing body for dental residencies, similar to ACGME for medical residencies. And then you do the training there, mm-hmm. whatever that entails. And then there's a second route where if you opted to, um, it's a three years. You actually, instead of doing the five years of general surgery and then doing the three year plastic and reconstructive surgery, you can do OMFS for six years and then do a three-year plastics and reconstructive surgery fellowship and become boarded in PRS. 
Two is rounds. that the most common? If people leave oral maxillofacial surgery, are they going into that kind of thing where it's plastic surgery or head and neck cancer surgery? So it's kind of all in the same realm. Okay. So I wouldn't say they're leaving it, but that's what they would pursue. Usually head and neck cancer, you can do fellowships in TMJ, cleft craniofacial, cosmetics. Those are the most popular ones. Is it rare for people to do like neurosurgery after? Pretty rare. Yeah. So you'd have to do a full fellowship of neurosurgery. There's no shortcuts there. Okay. I hope so, not. Right. <laughs> so I've seen there's actually... You go to the Marriott for a weekend. Yeah. Right. So I went up... Uh, in residency, I was um, first year, and uh, we're going up to the clinic, which is on like the third floor of this medical office building next to the hospital. Get off the floor, the first officer is a general medicine practice, and you see MD, internal medicine, DO, internal medicine. And I saw a DDS, MD, or MD, DDS, in no specific order, as an internal medicine practice. And I thought that was interesting. So he yeah. must have gone through residency, finished, then done an internal medicine residency maybe hand you know who knows stability you know you can't work with your hands yeah and you go into medicine and you but you have to do that three years of, of, of residency in medicine okay so why would you keep the dds on the sign that's that my is question. the big question yeah so that's that was uh, status my, right for sure status. for sure status. right but then some people <laughs> be like well I don't want to get my you know teeth clean hypertension right teeth clean exactly dentist, right <laughs> so you can drop that without. I will. Yeah. I think, right? I mean, I would. Some guys that do this cosmetic fellowship will drop the letters. or Okay. And just it, be an MD. Right. And that's all just uh, marketing. So stuff. you're a person that you know, your friend who does the breast implants, are they, they went to dental school first? I went to dental school with him. And then he went to, he did a three-year... He did a like six-year DDS or? MD residency, okay. and then he did a fellowship. He did a fellowship obviously. in cosmetics, and now he advertises online. He's a good guy, by the way. Um, Does he practice any kind of no, dental? No, just boobs and butts. Okay, my, my dream. Right, so you almost have to cut it off. Yeah. Right, so you can't. Well, you can't figuratively. But it's very difficult, especially <laughs> in the, in the market. Right. Right. If you're in Los Angeles, Phoenix, you're competing with board-certified plastics and reconstructive yeah. surgery. If you've got a DDS behind your name. They're gonna be like, you're gonna go do it. You're gonna let a dentist. You're right, yeah, which is kind owner? of a mis right. misnomer because the general public doesn't know how, how educated we're you trained are. And, yeah, and it goes for dentistry too. You know, they don't know the scope of it. Well, one of the leading used to be probably not anymore, but one of the leading uh, breast implant doctors in the area was not a plastic surgeon. Right. You guys probably know, know who that is. All over like breast Christmas, or is that what he says? He gives away a breast implant. The discounted. Oh. Is that what it is? Surgery. He's on the radio. That guy. He's I don't know. Radio. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't followed him in a while. But when you know, I mean, twenty years ago. Yeah, I know. He his was name. like the. He's, he's well. He was the man. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And um, and then I learned that he wasn't a plastic surgeon, but he came off as a plastic surgeon. Certainly, I interesting, think. interesting route. So. I think I know what you're talking about, but I won't say any names. But I think he's very much despised amongst the plastics and reconstructive okay. surgery field uh, because he doesn't have hospital privileges. So everything he does is in a surgical center. He can't do anything in a hospital. He cannot. So any complex complications, complications have to be sent to the hospital. An actual board-certified plastic surgeon has to pick up the slack. Picks mm. up the slack and covers that. That I would despise that guy too. Right, but if you're discounting half off one breast, if you buy do one, the get, other, buy right? one, get one, yeah, maybe the, the BOGO sale, like yeah. the list, right? 
some people gravitate towards that. But and, maybe some of the population doesn't know. Right. But if you look at the complication rates and how many cases. But I think he had a good do, reputation. Right? He or she had a good reputation back in the day Absolutely. because did really did a lot of cases. He does. And if your complication rates, 99% or excuse me, 99% success rate and 1% yeah. complication rate, you do a hundred cases, you're going to have one complication. Right. Right. And those add up, you do a thousand, you're going to get right, you know, right. accordingly, you know, so the rep, he may not be a bad surgeon. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything, but I mean, I don't managing know, but... complications that get too extreme to managing the outpatient center, you got to send them to the hospital, you get a bad bleed or something like that. You got, yeah. you know, that's so that's the problem with that, but mm-hmm. he's trained to do it. Right. So he's, if you go to medical school and then you go do those two years that we talked about of postgraduate, right. whether it's medicine, you have an active medical license, right? Yeah. And if you do a fellowship and you have a private surgical center and you're this well your trained, yeah. right, then you can do it. Right. You know, but in the case of uh, Vince's friend or a cosmetic fellow, mm-hmm. you would have hospital privileges for all that. The fellowship that oh, we would okay. do for cosmetic surgery, you can go to the hospital to do that because as I listened to uh, Leslie's podcast uh, with you guys and you have to sign up for these privileges and you have to prove that you can do it based on the number of cases and the patient logs. You okay. have to present that information. Like I've done 30 of these facelifts. That's enough for me to, you know, do they take your word for it when you're showing them what you did? So you look at the logs and you have to get them signed off by the, wherever you, Where did, you them. did them. Right? Okay. So if you did them in training, then your program director or the hospital director or GME will. It's very subjective. Is this, it? Is like, it when you apply for privileges, is it subjective or they're like, you need 30 butt lifts, 24 breast reductions. It's kind of, it is objective. Okay. Right? Oh, it so is. Okay. I'll use, uh, from what I think is, is the number. So I'll use tracheostomies as a, example. what is that? Vince just wants to say butt and breast <laughs> as many times as he can. Well, no kids podcast. around. Why not? <laughs> right. Come on, mom. He's got to get it out of his system. I get home. Everything's home. like tea party. Yeah. I can't say he's boobs. putting a princess exactly. crown on. Yeah, can't say butt. We say butt at home all the time. Yeah. But I'll use tracheostomy as a yeah. It's a procedure where you make yeah. a a hole in the in the trachea to for breathing. Have you done that before? Oh, I've done plenty. Oh I thought God. it was tracheotomy. So is it tracheostomy? So I'm saying it wrong. So ostomy is a hole. Yeah. Right. So if you're putting something in that, like it, it creates a passageway. Mm-hmm. So an otomy is a hole as well. So it's. I think it's interchangeable. Wait, okay. Like synonyms. Tell us why you are doing that to patients, like to save their life. Because they're choking. Right. So there's different indications for it, right? There's elective tracheostomies or tracheotomies. Airways closing, right? Emergent. Maybe not a lot of emergency ones. So I'll say this: typically, when you do them in an emergent situation, I've had a cricothyroidotomy. That's the easier airway. You go a little higher. You can get into the airway a little quicker then you convert that in a stable setting to the tracheostomy. So if someone, you know, this is where the ballpoint pen thing that you see on TV, yeah, if right. someone's choking, those stories. you can't dislodge the foreign body, you'd have to bypass that by going through the cricothyroid membrane. So you use a ballpoint pen or a 15 blade. That's the quick and dirty, easy access to put a trach in, in the appropriate position. It's a little bit more, uh, anatomically driven because you have the thyroid, you're going a little lower to more stable airway. So it's better to do it in a more controlled setting. So if there's an emergent situation, you do the cricothyroidotomy, get into a stable setting, 
establish that airway and then convert that to a tracheostomy. So I've done that. In an emergency situation? Yes. Where, you like, know, and there's been other cases where the crike was already done by the time I had gotten there. Okay. Are you in the hospital or you're like the Cracker Barrel with your girlfriend? So this is like hospital stuff. I've never done one, thankfully, on He's like, I've never been to a Cracker, cracker Barrel. <laughs> and I'm, I'm a surgeon. I, I kind of want to go just to see how many peanut shells are on the floor. Uh, no, that's not, sorry, that's not a Cracker Barrel. That's, where's it's got to be Cracker No, barrel. the peanut shells is other place. It's Texas Roadhouse. Yeah, Texas Roadhouse. I've, 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 never, like, I've never been to a Texas Roadhouse. Get out of here. You were there for to, breakfast this morning. No, I have been to a Cracker Barrel. <laughs> I went to they Denny's. have a little store in there with all the old-timey yeah. stuff. Anyway. <laughs> no, I feel like Cracker Barrel is like... That's like... That's a step above. Let floor. me tell you, Cracker Barrel, and I mean no East offense Mario's to, used to anyone have the listening. If you're, yeah. if you get your girlfriend pregnant at 14 and you have three kids already, and that's you're fine dining. Yeah, then you're at the Cracker Barrel. Okay. Yeah. So it's like road trips. Too. I go there all the time. <laughs> Just, yeah, my favorite is Golden Corral. Oh my gosh, you're getting E. coli for Never sure. Never been to that one either. <laughs> get out of here. What do you eat in Birmingham all the time? <laughs> Yeah, pretty much now. I oh mean, my god, I've earned it. She's going <laughs> to Toast and <laughs> to- yeah, exactly. uh, Townhouse. What's that new Lux? The yeah. new hotel. I'm actually going to Muse tonight. So Ooh. where's that? I know it's in the new hotel. Oh, the Dax. I mean, I digress. Yeah. Okay. I what? went there with uh, your wife, your lovely wife, and I. Wife. Well, we less, lunched there. Less about you, more about <laughs> Archie saving the day. So you're in. Wait, ha- I, hang on a second. No. I have a quick question. Yeah, no sure. Emergency um, tracheostomy. Right. Have you ever seen one of those done by a? Civilian, no, get out of here. Okay, no. who the hell's doing that? Well, they, you know, that's what the movies and are right. made of. You so, know, they have these heroic right. stories. So, you can do emergent. So, the let's divide the line between a cricothyroidotomy and a tracheostomy, right? So, the tracheostomy is the more difficult, demanding procedure to perform, but more stable airway. Okay, you never see that on the street. You'd see the cricothyroidotomy, that's the movie ballpoint pen straw and they're not they're not drowning on blood in the movies which and you most certainly that's the main reason why um they're done in the hospital is because when you have trauma blunt force or penetrating trauma they usually cannot get uh, a tube in orally so they can't intubate the patient because uh Maybe the jaw is fractured severely or blown to bits and then the airway is full of blood and you can't visualize the cords to put a tube in between mm-hmm. them to safely protect that airway. So you have to then do a surgical airway, which the first option, the quicker option, and there's multiple techniques to do it, is the cricothyroidotomy. So basically it's the little lump between your Mm-hmm. thyroid cartilage and uh, just below there's another little notch and you go right between those now that stabilizes the area you put a tube in everyone takes a breath you control other things mm-hmm. now you get your airway you get your breathing circulation make sure there's no bleeding going on and once they're stable they will go to the operating room and then you can convert that to a trach okay that's probably that's the way that i've done it and that's the way that's that's how it's done in the, the ER. safest way to do it. Okay. Uh, but yeah, you can do a slash trach is what they call it emergently. I mean, if you're doing trachs all day and you're like an ENT or general surgeon doing trachs all day, electively. Yeah. Then uh, doing a slash trach may be your first go-to option. Okay. And basically it's usually the patient's awake to some degree. You have <sighs> to localize, put lidocaine in and cut down. And it's uh, kind of a bloody mess. So it's... Sometimes easier to do the, the cricothyroidotomy than the trach and then convert it later. 
But to do it electively in a non-emergent setting, you do it for big pending surgery, right? So if you're doing a big head and neck cancer resection and you know this patient's going to be intubated in a medically induced coma for seven days or two weeks or however long it may be, you do that prior to that surgery. Really? Okay. Right. Well, that makes sense because right. that's your working field. You can't... Right. Exactly. So you get yeah. the tube out of the way and then you know they're going to be in the ICU for the next week or two. Now, is that considered elective? That is considered elective. Uh, okay. Right. But you're doing it for but ease, necessary. Of, ease of surgery? Right. Well, you're not ease saving of... their life by doing it. Yeah. That's why right. it's elective. Right. The other indication would be for something called vent-dependent respiratory failure. It's basically when you're intubated okay. orally uh, on the ventilator for pulmonary problems. You only have about, literature says different things, 7 days, 10 days, 14 days, but I would say the max is 14 days having that tube between your vocal cords before it can cause stenosis or damage to your vocal cords. So that would be an indication to electively do a tracheostomy too. Because you're getting on the two-week mark, you don't want to cause right, vocal cord yeah, damage. Right, then you just bypass the cords by going below them, and then that the tracheostomy heals up very nicely, actually, surprisingly. So I'll probably try one Monday. Well, with a pen, of yeah, course. Yeah, it's easier. Use so, one of my pens. So yeah. And, the, and the key, like going back to like the initial point is you have to have X amount in your training and proven that you've done. Absolutely. Like, I think the number is yeah. 20 and I think I did 20 or more in my chief year to say, hey, I'm applying for these privileges at this yeah. hospital or this hospital. Even at 20, you're probably still nervous to do right. it. Right. I mean, I'm, it's not my favorite, but, yeah. you know, I, can only, I haven't done many on my own as, a, as an attending. So I've done plenty as a resident under, mm-hmm. you know, other people. I've yeah. Maybe three or four. Since you've been out. Since I've been out, which is more than any other OMS that I know, but... Yeah. Except for the head and neck guys. Head and neck guys do those all the time. Every day. All day. That's yeah. kind of how I learned. I learned from ENT surgeons and I learned from the head and neck surgeon who's an OMFS, a previous OMFS that I trained under. Who so, is that? Uh, Carlos Ramirez. Oh, it is him. I didn't yeah. know he gets had a relationship. Yeah. He's he okay. was a program director. Great guy. He's running the program at uh, Ascension Hospital. Had, he's built an amazing head and neck uh, microvascular reconstructive fellowship and program there. Uh, Good surgeon. Because yeah. my patient, I referred you, you referred to him. I did. And then he either sent to Dr. Brent Ward at Michigan or she transferred. Okay. Service. So, I mean, he does it, does it all. He's got two fellows underneath him, uh, usually every year. And he runs the, he's a program director for the general OMFS program as well. So okay. if I have any major cancer surgery that needs re- reconstruction or whatever it may be, I send it to him. Sometimes, you know, it's nice to do those major surgeries if you can get away without immediate reconstruction or do it in conjunction. Mm-hmm. Like I've done a couple of cancer cases, but I haven't done the reconstruction part of it, which is the free flap, basically taking tissue from somewhere and transfer it over. So I'm not trained enough to do that. That's the fellowship. But okay. He does all that, and uh, he's a great job. He's be a good guy for your podcast. I would love to have him on. Yeah. yeah. Well, so let me ask you this. Um, what is your favorite thing to do in... Um, oral maxillofacial surgery or what's your, what's your day to day? And then what do you really enjoy? Right. So I mentioned, uh, so I'm with summit oral and maxillofacial surgery. I spent about four and a half days there a week, basically four. And then I take, uh, have a day off every two weeks. Uh, and then I'm on staff, uh, part-time staff at Ascension with the program. 
So I spend a couple of days at the, of the month at the clinic, at the resident clinic. And I do, you know, basically outpatient stuff at their clinic. And mm-hmm. I take about three to four months of trauma call a year, uh, at a level one facility and a level three facility. What's the difference? So the levels of the hospitals determine what type of trauma comes in. So a level three has only a certain amount of staff people to accommodate certain types of trauma. So a level one facility has everything like vascular, interventional radiology, interventional cardiology, so trauma, that's like Beaumont Royal Oak. That's like Beaumont Royal Oak. That's receiving. Ascension. That's receiving. Yeah. That's Henry Ford, Maine. Those are the four big ones. Okay. They're all level one. Each system actually has one level one facility. And then from there, it's a level two. Um, stroke patients and they all, they're all different criteria, but mm-hmm. you have to have certain people in house for that to be a level one facility. So they usually attract heavy trauma, like your Beaumonts, your Henry Ford's, your Ascension mains and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. um, and then I used to take call at another level one facility, but kind of dropped off of that. A lot of call. So you're at home three in the morning, they call you. That's tough. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's nice because I work with the residents. Okay. So. Wait, why is that nice? The work that I've done as a resident, <laughs> yeah. you know, is now coming into fruition. So when I was in my intern year, fourth year, sixth year, whatnot, going in at three in the morning for whatever it may be, now they're doing that for me, right? So okay. it's not emergent. If it does not need to go to the operating room that moment, so if, if it's a gunshot wound, if it's a descending infection into like the neck or the uh, mediastinum those you want to take right away usually pediatric patients you want to take right away but if it's just a jaw fracture or cheekbone fracture the resident will go see it middle of night work it up call me in the morning and then we'll say hey let's take them to surgery this evening or tomorrow morning or whatever it may be so do they make the decision if it needs to be in the operating room or not it's like a team effort, right? So okay. there's a hierarchy. So you're not going to let an intern make that decision. Usually if the chiefs, they're in their sixth year of training, they know when a case needs to go to okay. the OR, when it doesn't. Usually any trauma and bones that need to be fixed need to go to the OR. Uh, if it's just a little vestibular space infection in the mouth, that can be drained bedside, just localize them, cut it, put a drain in. If it's a laceration, sometimes they're pretty simple. Two, three centimeters can be repaired bedside. Sometimes they're pretty uh, macerated tissues and you got to clean it up and it all depends. So if it's a clean stab wound, you could probably fix it bedside. If it's a, if you get flung through a windshield, you're going to need to go into the OR, mm-hmm. put them to sleep, clean out all the glass and then close it in plastics manner. So I mean, surgery is insane. Yeah. It's um, nice. Yeah. It's nice to like have, like see the other end of it though. Yeah. Right. As a resident, you're just. You're a machine, right? Yeah. You're grinding. You're 100 hours a week. Well, now it's a little different. Is it 80? What did Leslie say? That they don't follow the 80 hour? Right. Rate? So it's different. Mm-hmm. So ACGME is the accreditation system for graduate medical education for uh, allopathics, so MDs. And then there's an osteopathic version of that, I believe. CODA is our governing body. So okay. CODA doesn't really. It's interesting because there's, you know, perio, then there's endo, then there's ortho. You're orthodontist residency. You're probably working like <laughs> two hours a week, yeah. <laughs> right. drinking coffee yeah, the whole time. And then you got the OMFS resident down the hall, who's just at the clinic, and that's all they see, right? You're yeah. there nine to five, but then you're in the hospital at like four or five a.m. before then, and then you're right. in the hospital till ten p.m. 
midnight. If you're on call, you're up all night. They don't see that, so they don't set those hour records. They're like, oh, yeah, no one's doing 100 hours. And then they're like, oh, wait, hold on. OMFS is doing. So there's no rule. Okay. But the hospital has recognized that, obviously, and they've adopted more of that 80-hour work week, even like the general surgery residents, 80 hours. When I was in general surgery residency or uh, internship, excuse me, I did more than 80 hours a week. You know, if you had to stay and finish the job, you stayed and finished the job. Mm-hmm. Well, I read an article maybe a couple of years ago where – the amount of stuff you need to know to not kill people on the table, you need to work those hours. Oh, yeah. Um, but there's a fine line between killing you because you're working too much and then killing the patient because you're not working enough. Right. It takes a, a special individual, I would say, to like be able to prioritize that, right? Mm-hmm. So your life becomes this residency or any residency. I specifically say surgical residencies are pretty tough, whether it's ortho or you know neurosurgery or general surgery and orthopedic surgery that is um orthodontics is super easy <laughs> jake shearing you know jake shearing he was on this podcast he's an orthodontist really? he works like one hour a week makes eight million dollars a year so he's a smart guy <laughs> so you know you need to have those hours under your belt yeah. to know what you're doing right and unfortunately sometimes you're spread thin sometimes well there are so many different things that can happen mm-hmm. in your specialty it's not like Endo, you know, and I have I have deep respect for endodontists too. My sister's an endodontist, so I always say that. But, but they're they're doing root canals, apicot. You know, there's like three right. things. You you don't you have no idea what you're walking into, and it could go a lot of different ways. It can, and so you got to be prepared for it. Yeah, right? you have so, to. Like I said, the four versus six year argument doesn't make you a better surgeon or better provider. Right. Right. It gives you a you know, medical school gives you a good foundation of medical knowledge. And I mm-hmm. use that and I would hundred percent recommend anybody if they're deciding between four and six, I would say, Hey, go six, you know, one can't hurt. And two, you never know what the dynamic of the future is going to hold as right. far as anything. So having your medical degree in your pocket for a rainy day doesn't hurt if you don't use it on a day to day basis. If you're not in the hospital every day or every few times a week, then you may not need it, but can't hurt. So, um, it depends on the quality of training of the surgical program. So mm-hmm. the, the two years I'm in med school, I'm not learning oral and maxillofacial surgery. The four years that I'm on service is when I'm learning it, just as the four years that a four-year uh, program resident is learning it. So if you're in a what we call a country club program that's just doing implants and wisdom teeth in the clinic and they work till eight, they're out in the middle of nowhere, so there's no trauma. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty cush residency, right? Or other programs that are at big hospital centers that have ENT programs, plastics and reconstruction surgery, and they don't have a strong oral and maxillofacial surgery program, they're going to get stepped all over. Um, but there's a lot of programs that have hospital systems that have all three that work in conjunction. Like Leslie was mentioned, Cincinnati, they work great mm-hmm. together. They split the call there. So they all get their own hands in it, and they all have a mutual respect for one another. That's kind of how it is most places, but... If you don't have that, you're not going to be able to do that when you're done. So when I take all this trauma call, yeah, I don't have to do it. I enjoy doing it. I love working with the residents. That's why I do it. That's where I spend. That's how I get out of the nine to five. So I'm not doing 50 hours a week anymore. I'm doing like 70 hours sometimes when I'm mm-hmm. on call, you know, and that's just my choice. And uh, I like to give back to the profession, so to speak. I like to kind of do that to thank indirectly the people that did it for me to help train me and make me the surgeon I am today. 
because people like, you know, even Orzek, you know, she didn't have to take all that trauma call, you know, she was uh, attending for our program and uh, we covered a hospital called Sinai Grace back then. Mm -hmm. She was on staff there, just like Mike Kramer and Jim Lepchek and Tim Schmeckel and Aaron Pocorny. These guys don't have to go to Detroit at 3 a.m. to fix a, you know, fracture or, you know, manage a gunshot wound. But they chose to do it, so I feel mm-hmm. that I want to do that, so I can mentor the younger guys today in residency and be like, be one of those guys that they looked up to too. So you will be, or you are now. You are looked up to. Yeah, um, so I try to do that. Cause I work with Bercorny a lot, but he yeah. talks highly about you too. Of course, man, I love he's him. he's great. Yeah. Um, who's his partner again? Ranky. Ranky. Okay. Ranky, yeah. So let me ask you a question about sure, yeah. your tolerance of risk. Let, let me ask Jessica first, because you're a general dentist, right? Yeah. You were. <laughs> Um, I think so. Are you high risk? She's or, a real estate. She's a real estate extraordinaire. Yeah, there's always people that become well, smarter than the profession. Oh my god! Out how <laughs> I know to, how to do it without it. And you know, like I was telling her, I was like, I know you. She's like, there's a magnet on the fridge yeah. at, at your our, house. At my house. <laughs> in, your, in, your, in your mansion. In the, yeah, nice in my thousand square foot house. Yeah, no, in my at the Romeo office. Okay. And um, this, I was like, oh, marketing genius, Doctor Gall, that I'm thinking of yeah there's just the goal that i saw on rochester road the big sign there yeah that's, so it's all the same are you <laughs> risk adverse let's say clinically when you're because i don't know it's archie next so um, i'm very risk adverse okay define what you mean by that like, wisdom tooth laying on a, a nerve and i am i'm not taking that out i don't want to deal with the complications well i think something i learned in practicing for you know almost 20 years is i learned to minimize risk so I, you know, you figure out what you're good at and what you're comfortable with. Like I did a lot of, I did a lot of extractions early on. It was funny, you know, right out of school because probably because of UHC and because of my, you know, my instructors that we had a lot of good oral surgeons at U of D and, um, so I was really comfortable, but as time went on, I started doing, you know, syrup crowns and other things that I liked better or more. And then I started decreasing the amount of, I got less comfortable with that. Less comfortable. So I wouldn't take on something if I thought it was risky. Okay. So I'd say, I'd say, yeah, I'm not, I'm risk. I'm adverse to risk in that setting in my business life. Now my professional career, I love risk. Sure. I'm all about it. Like how I invest in you know, stocks and cryptocurrency, like the riskier, the better for me. Okay. See, the risk is all on you. It's not like you're risking. I'm not risking. Exactly. That's that's the difference. My, my risk, I love risk. Like I'll, you know, in, you know, starting my own business after, you know, from scratch, it's, that's risky. Yeah. Um, you know, with my own money, it's like, that was, that was a risky move. Um, but but I wouldn't put you at risk. And that's a good point you brought up. So yeah. with your personality, because obviously we have much different personalities, you can probably tolerate risk pretty well. What's your, what's your mindset going in as a surgeon? Right. So it's all about, as Jessica said, it's all about risk mitigation, right? Okay. So you try and get on top of it as soon as possible. So mm-hmm. by warning the patient, hey, this is a potential risk for this, uh, taking out a wisdom tooth, there's a chance you're going to have numbers. So it's 1%, you know, it's pretty small, but there, if you're the yeah. one person of that, you know, hundred people that gets it, that doesn't, the percentages don't matter to you. Yeah. So you have to thoroughly explain to them, you know, this is a possibility. Yeah. If it's a minor injury or, a, you know, 
the neurotomesis, a little bumper bruise, it'll come back in a couple months. If it's a severed nerve, it's not going to come back. And the risk change with the type of surgery. So if you're taking out a wisdom tooth that's laying on the nerve and you see the red flags on the imaging that say, hey, it's going to touch the nerve, it's likely just going to come out. You take it out in small pieces and then mm. uh, try to minimize that damage. But if they're numb for a week or two weeks and they're young, they'll come back. If they're 50 and it's you know wrapped around the nerve, it's maybe don't take it out. Maybe mitigate that risk by mm. treating it palliatively. You know, if it flares up with infection, do you just treat it with uh, Paradex and antibiotics and just kind of sit on it? I've seen plenty that needed to come out. I've seen plenty that maybe didn't need to come out and came out anyways. And then you have a jaw fracture and yeah. permanent numbness. And then you're taking them to the OR. It's all about being able to manage your complications. Mm-hmm. So if I take out a wisdom tooth, I fracture the jaw, I can fix that. Okay. No problem. Two hours longer, unfortunately. Yeah. Maybe I have to take them to the hospital. It's an unfortunate risk of doing business, but I can fix that. But you're okay with that risk. See, I'm okay with it. Cause yeah. one, I have the training to back up that I did that okay. in the first place. It's a well-known complication, whatever the complication. Otherwise, you know, if it's something off the wall and you're neglectful, that's a different story. But mm-hmm. if it's a known complication like paresthesia, happens all the time. It happens with injections. Yeah, absolutely. So that's not anything that a court's going to prove negligent against you. But if you don't tell them anything, be like, hey, this is going to go great. The wisdom tooth's impacted to the inferior board of the jaw. You snap <laughs> their jaw and they're numb forever. Like, sorry, we got to take you to the hospital. That's kind of like not mitigating that risk. But I tell you, hey, we're are going to give you some options. We're going to either keep an eye on it and treat it palliatively or it's got to come out and it's some risk for fracture. Mm-hmm. And then we just kind of stay on top of it. I think the key is, is being able to manage that risk, right? Absolutely. But you're still willing to play that game. So I'm not willing to be in a career or I guess I could break a jaw as a dentist, but I don't do a lot of extractions. Let's say like sedating people. Right. I'm not willing to play that game where a sedation can go wrong. So many things can go wrong. Yeah. yeah but you're willing to play the game where a sedation can go wrong. So we're, we're different in that. Not that it will for you, but we're different right. in that. I didn't want to enter that arena. Mm-hmm. You're already in there. So you have a different type of. He has to be in there yeah. as a specialist. I mean, yeah. if you're but not, you chose to be right. in there. You choose to be there. Yeah. You get trained to do those things and then you take it upon yourself to justify your training, right? Okay. So if you just run through the motions through the training and you don't really, really give a crap at the end of the day, that's not going to bode well for you or your patients, mm-hmm. right? Your health, your care that you provide is going to be affected directly by it. So if you care and you're cognizant of all the risks and you're, you know, for anesthesia, for example, you take into account every factor their medical history, their pulmonary status, their cardiac status. You have to know everything, right? So if they, um, I had a patient the other day that neglected to tell me that they were taking Suboxone, right? And I think, you know, it's like, hey, um, I'm going to be putting you under anesthesia with potentially narcotics. I don't use narcotics, but that could cause some serious hypotensive episodes that I got to give, you know, pressors for, and then you end up in the hospital. Like mm-hmm. that's on the patient to tell me, Hey, I'm taking Suboxone. I didn't find out till after because I gave him a couple, uh, narcotics pills. And then the pharmacy called, Hey, this guy's on Suboxone. Got to go through his pain specialist. And I was like pretty upset. Thanks for telling yeah. me. Yeah. Right. I was kind of furious for about five, 10 minutes. And I was like, if this guy comes back, I'm dismissing him. You know, it's like, 
that's not acceptable to me. Yeah. Because you know, that could have, because he was a little hypotensive. I was like, well, it's yeah. fraudulent on the right. medical so history. Like, what do you, th- like, you look through it and then mm-hmm. I'm, I don't just rely on that. Yeah. That paperwork. I yeah. go through everything myself and my assessment of them, my consultation, I spend about the majority of the time talking about the medical history. I mean, if it's a 17 year old, that's, you know, I don't spend that much time, but mm-hmm. something looks suspicious. You've been smoking three packs a day for 30 years, you know, I'm going to assume that you have some cardiovascular disease. I'm going to ask you, Hey, I know you don't take any medications, but have you seen a primary care physician within the last year? No. Have you had a workup? No. Right. So you can assume that there's got some underlying health conditions or like the hypertensive guy, not all healthy, but they think the medication that they're on negates their their ailment. Right. So yeah, I don't don't have high blood pressure, (laughs) so you're taking two antihypertensives, but but I don't, I don't have high blood pressure. I used I to have, have diabetes. Yeah, exactly. I take insulin, but I don't have diabetes because of yeah. insulin. But you still have well, diabetes, but it's... That's the thing. You know, what do you do? I Okay, so I had a, a patient once. I removed number 10. I mean, it was like, this is a know-nothing extraction. I mean, I, do you do extractions at all? I stopped, but I used to. Okay, like this is like, you know, elevate. Have a little fun, boom. a little bit. And, um, <laughs> anyways, after the procedure, wouldn't stop bleeding. Yeah. Wouldn't stop bleeding. Wouldn't stop bleeding. It happens, happens everywhere. Lime pressure, yeah. you know, gel foam, all the, mm-hmm. everything I have, I'm putting it in there. I called Greg, yeah. you know, your um, colleague, partner, who who I really like. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. He's like, well, is he taking blood thinners? I'm like, no. So then I go back in the room, medical history. We went over it twice. Right. He's taking all kinds of stuff. Right. Um, it's like they don't think that's relevant. Yeah. Like, oh, oh just, uh, yeah. And I took four aspirin yeah. right before. It's like, oh, my God. So anyways, long story short, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think he went to Greg. I think he went to your office first. I think he ended up at Beaumont. Really? Yeah. yeah I, I mean, mean it, was, it was I mean, bad. Yeah. Sometimes it's something as simple as taking out mm-hmm. a tooth. You don't hit any vascular structures. It was structures, simple. But yeah. sometimes, you know, you can hit some vasculature, mm-hmm. some, some major anatomy that you want to avoid and but like you i was mad story, i was right? very yeah. upset with the patient I, it makes you look bad right doesn't it? well i don't think i ever did any treatment on him ever again but you feel terrible too like did i cause this bleeding right well like the tooth i would not out. have treated the patient right and in most cases to be honest with you humans are very resilient people like, yeah unless they're like walking back from the lobby to to see you and they're like huffing and puffing like most right. patients can hide it pretty well right oh, yeah you don't know you know yeah and the people get upset over like the craziest things. Like uh, I had this guy that was a COPD or he's rolling his oxygen tank behind him. You know, he's a young guy. He's in his 50s. So, you know, he's got a pretty bad disease. Three liters per minute, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, he wants to go to sleep. And this is the first time I'm meeting him. It's like a same day, right? He's expecting to get put to sleep to get this tooth out. <laughs> he's, I told him, well, your pulmonary status is very poor. I listened to his lungs, did a full assessment terrible crackles rails expiratory wheezes mm-hmm. probably a poor candidate so i said no we're not going to do it i'm going to talk with your pulmonologist see what your pulmonary status is and he's yelling up a storm oh, yeah. he's like just do it i'll be fine i'm I, they always never say forget that. that i'll be fine just or, do it. or why you ask me so many questions you know they right, get exactly. like like you're invading their privacy like, well it's my ass right if you they don't care you know don't tell me something and then you have a Right. Poor outcome, right? It's something that puts you in the hospital. Because I don't want to hurt your feelings by asking. So I said no, and he got upset, rescheduled him. I talked to his pulmonologist, got a clearance. He was cleared at high risk because he he didn't have COPD. He ended up having some, like, pulmonary, like, bronchial tree disorder, uh, 
that can cause like alveolar, you know, distension and, you know, rupture. So he was cleared at high risk, not for outpatient, but high risk for, you know, so hospital, hospital too. Yeah. So I said, no, we're taking out a tooth. You're going to stay awake. It's going to be local or you can go somewhere else. Not even nitrous because you can't give those guys nitrous either. Yeah. Because the diffusion coefficient is different in COPD people. So I said, local, you're an adult, unfortunately. That's the only way we're going to do this. You're not going to die for a tooth, right? Yeah. Whether it's in the hospital at the hands of an anesthesiologist with an intrigual tube with positive pressure or, you know. Did he do it? No, I never saw him again. Okay. What tooth number was it? It was like a premolar tooth. So it would take like three seconds for you to right. get it out. It's like not even yeah. five or 12. It was like. I wonder what happened to him. Like, I wonder if someone else did it. It's probably a general dentist. You know, I'm sure, you know, that's the thing. Well, I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to say any names, but I think about people that we know in common who, who do sedation in their office. Do you know what it is though? That's what I kind of always. It scares me. It's, I call it ignorance is bliss, right? I feel like I know too much that the complications that I know exist that scare me. Right. So if a complication occurs that I've, never seen before it's pretty rare right either i know about it read about it i've seen it myself i mean i'm mm-hmm. pretty young in my career but when you're in surgery you're not operating unless you have complication that's kind of like the yeah. quote right so if you don't know the complication risks and you just do it anyways and you haven't seen enough cases haven't intubated enough people haven't been on those anesthesia rotations see when really shit hits the fan can yeah. you get out of it if you don't know that exists and yeah just push a little clear medication and it yeah. works out and I you're post? good yeah right you don't know the until it doesn't work the, out the dosage appropriately yeah, yeah. I, i've seen all that and like it's scary it's scary and that goes back to the point where who's provide the weekend course whatever it may be three weekends five weekends 60 hours you don't get to tube those patients in the hospital no you're in the hospital on that rotation uh you don't get to put the tube in like the periodontists that do those rotations. You don't get to intubate anybody. We do because our service is well known in the hospital. We live in the hospital when we're in residency, mm-hmm. not in the clinic. So no one really lets anybody else do anything. So when you're in there for the weekend course, you don't get to, you're just there. You're there for the certification, right? You've seen it, but yeah. you don't actually get to do it. You don't get to run the actual anesthesia machine start to finish. MDA steps out, you call them if you need anything, right? It's scary. Yeah. Right. You're, and if you're not scared in the mix, then you're not doing then it. Then you're right? a psychopath. You're not scared. Right. Like when at children's, like you get left in a room by yourself and they're like, you're in an ophthalmology room and they're like, all right, we're putting pressure on the eye. They're going to go bradycardic. And with pediatric patients, you have to be very mindful of bradycardia because that can lead to cardiopulmonary failure. Mm-hmm. You have to be on the threshold of what medications to give. Do you give atropine? Do you give robinol? What do you give and when do you give it in the certain indication? So when you press on the eye, uh, you get bradycardic. Yeah. Heart rate goes down. That's just the oculus, uh, cardiac reflex. At what, What's your threshold to push that medication to reverse that? Do you cause tachycardia or other cardiac problems? Or do you just let them take the pressure off the eye, let the heart back come to normal, and then get back to work? That's things that you... Don't apply to to the day to day stuff, but if you don't know stuff like that, the minutia, then yeah, what other stuff don't you know to? I that, feel that's like where more, yeah. so much. I feel like more patients in a dental setting should. I mean, there should be a higher mortality rate, don't you? 
just based on well that's all the stuff that you hear here like on the news like yeah i know but it doesn't happen as Dennis often kills, yeah, I mean, as you think yeah. like accidents happen yeah OMS is oral max facial surgeons have deaths in their office unfortunately yeah. I had, a death I had a death yeah. in my office. had nothing to do with me. Right. People die on the, saw the, bill. In the table yeah. in the OR, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, unfortunately, yeah. like, you can't. But if you're prepared enough to say, hey, this is the unfortunate circumstances that led to this process, then right. that's, you know, everyone understands that things die, but it's unfortunately. But if it's your family member, that's unacceptable, right? Yeah. And you look at the leaks and trying to fix the gaps. And that's why everyone needs to be upfront and clear. And that's why you need to go somewhere where that, that training is applicable, right? You need to know yeah. how to, what to do when it doesn't go. doesn't go right. Yeah, so like it doesn't I had go to, right for any practitioner. Right, so I'm not going to say any details, but like going back to the CRNA and the dentist, the dentist is the head of honcho, right? They're, yeah. they're liable if the CRNA messes up, right? And sometimes these CRNAs, you know, they go out on their own. Yeah. They're part of a company. They didn't make the cut of the hospital, whatever the scenario may be. If there's not an MD on site, you're liable. Yeah. Right. So they don't, you know, we're up in the airway all the time. Right. So we know when the patient's exchanging, ventilating, we can see things. Right. We know when the patient's obstructing because their tongue fell back. When you've got a situation, I had a, you know, I know of a story where an endodontist had a rubber dam on, CRNA is sedating the patient, patient went apneic. Pediatric patient. Oh my God. So came, didn't succumb to the anoxia, but had severe damage, you know, uh, anoxic brain injury, severely yeah. mentally retarded for the rest of his life. Oh right. God. That, that is like a terrible thing to happen. Yeah. And if you're on the, you're on the hook for it. Yeah. It's not the CRNA. Mm-mm. You, it's like that mid-level provider. But you can't see the tongue, right? Fall back because of yeah. the rubber dam. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's, I've always thought, can but you... the CRNA has no idea uh-uh. that that's happening because she's like, yeah, I'm just... But that's that whole... Texting that on whole... my phone, you know, in the background, Yeah, right? exactly. Well, my, my opinion about, you know, the politics of medicine and dentistry, you know, PAs, mid-level providers that are coming, CRNAs you can put in that category, we are, we're playing like a dangerous game because... They're not properly trained on all those things. Right. And there's a hierarchy. And we're right? trying to save right. a buck as practitioners. But what's the, well, what's there's the a real, lot of risk. Yeah. So in most cases, things will go fine. Like I said, yeah. humans are resilient. If right. you've got your reserves are amazing. So if you're down to like 25% kidney function, you're not going to show it. Right. Mm-hmm. You get down to like 20, 15%, that's when you go into acute renal failure. I mean, your labs may show up, but you're still going to function on a day-to-day basis. You're not going to start, stop going right. to the bathroom until you get to that limit, right? Same with your pulmonary reserve, cardiac reserve. Everyone has a limit, right? So if you had like four heart attacks and three stents and you're probably kicking fine, you're probably walking around the block every morning. But if you get put under a, a stressful situation under mm-hmm. anesthesia, and then you have that uh, myocardial infarction. That can happen, yep. you know, but it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Well, Leslie brought this up during her interview with us. What you talked about were when you're, you almost want to be the oral surgeon and do an anesthesia because it's a delicate dance because you're in there and you know what's going on. Because there's always that controversy where I have a lot of surgeons actually in my practice where if you're an orthopedic surgeon, you're not doing the anesthesiology on it. Right. But when you're an oral surgeon, 
it's almost better that you are doing Cause it too. Because you're right there. Because you see the tongue. Right. You see this happen. You, can, you know when to give more, give less. Right. And it's a fine balance. So when we're doing this outpatient conscious sedation or deep anesthesia, um, it's all intravenous. So we're not putting in a tracheal tube in. Mm-hmm. We're not providing inhalation anesthetics. For the larger procedures that require paralysis, it's like you got to be completely out, out. Yeah. like the orthognathic surgery, the trauma surgery, orthopedic surgery, any, you know, thing. Like if you're getting a colonoscopy, you're not getting an endotracheal tube. You're just getting propofol, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's called conscious sedation? It's different You're still breathing on your it, own, right? So right? Breathe, protecting your own airway, breathing on your own, right? So you can do that with a certain amount of depth of anesthesia, mm-hmm. right? So if you get past level three, that's when you start going apneic, right? So when you start responding to pain, you're kind of a higher levels one and two mm-hmm. and um, different that's stages so and depths of anesthesia. And when you're out, you're like completely under anesthetic. That's when a machine you're is paralyzed, right? That's yeah. when the machine's breathing and you're paralyzed, you're asleep. And then you can do that surgery. So it depends on what you're getting done, right? Mm-hmm. So like that gentleman that was getting a tooth out, you can stay awake, right? Yeah. If I'm taking out a jaw cyst and I don't think you really need to go to the hospital for it, you just need to be asleep and still, I'll sedate you, start an IV, you're still breathing yeah right and then it's 20 minutes as opposed to two hours right right you recover from anesthesia faster from IV anesthesia when you get the gas and inhalation anesthetics through the endotracheal tube you're out for some time right your recoveries Mm -hmm. you get nausea vomiting so the inhalation anesthetics are pretty harsh yeah so if you're getting a quick procedure like a biopsy even you know like if you're going for a cardiac stent cardiologist push some versed they cannulate your radial artery and they put a stent in intravascularly. It's a little uncomfortable. But if you're kind of an old, older lady, all you need is like a touch of Versed, like two mm-hmm. and a half milligrams, and you're like out. But enough to keep them awake too. So the interventional cardiologists, the you know gastroenterologists, they're utilizing the same techniques for less invasive surgeries. So I can get a tooth out pretty quickly, especially a hot tooth. I just need to pull it out. And if they're asleep... They're asleep, right? And right. then they wake up, they're numb. They don't know anything that happened. When you get start getting into, you know, heavier surgery, then you got to be asleep. But the risk is there, right? If you're just doing fillings, like, probably stay awake for that. Yeah. I mean, I have some patients that ask, can I be put under for fillings? It's not worth it. It's not. Um, even if, if you're so scared you need to be put under for fillings, the rest of your life you want to be put under for any little cavity? It's, it goes for everything, right? Yeah, so yeah like, like, there's yeah. going to be some uncomfortable yeah. moments. I yeah. have patients that like <laughs> need a biopsy. Yeah. Like, let's just say in the cheek. It's like taking a mole off, right? Yeah. Yeah. Go to your dermatologist. They're not putting you to sleep to take that mole off. No. I can do it just as fast and Local. it's just one little injection, right? They're like, no, 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 no. I got to go to sleep for this. It's like a half centimeter papule. But then they've got like, Fillers in their lips and Botox. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Like, and they weren't sleeping for that. Piercings, tattoos. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it boggles your mind. Like, hey, I think you could probably tolerate this. That's my favorite. So they got like a mouthful of dental restorative work, root canals. Mm-hmm. And for me to localize soft tissue to excise a tissue lesion is like unacceptable. Yeah, that's going to yeah. put them right. over the edge. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we're actually coming up in the hour mark. Um, we always ask our guests. Yeah. Top three at the end. Did you listen to Leslie's? You didn't get I to did, the end. So you, I, I kind of do. No. No. I, no. <laughs> anyway, um, you're in my opinion a high performance individual. Not only because we're friends, but 
You're an amazing surgeon. All your patients love you. You have zero complications. Um, what are top <laughs> three pieces of advice you would give to anyone going into oral surgery to be a successful private practice oral surgeon? That's a good, uh, good question. So I've kind of um, always tried to follow this mantra. It was a third-year med student. Um, this is a quote that I kind of live by. It's a third-year med student, the neurologist that I was rotating with as a student. Love saying this, and it's a quote called, delaying gratification is one of the greatest predictors of success, mm -hmm. which kind of, if you think about it, like you kind of take your time, be patient, do the work that's necessary, delay that gratification, you become more successful and you reap the benefits down the road. Now everything's like instant gratification, cell phones, you know, pay me now, worry about everything else later. I think if you delay that gratification, do the work that's necessary, it'll pay off in the end. So that's something that I, since med school, I've always kind of tried to live by and follow. Um, the other thing that I always uh, love to say to the residents, and this is from one of my former co-residents, he was James Mueller. Um, he was, he, we had a resident that sometimes questionable ethically, you know, sure. shortcuts this and that. He'd always say his name. He's like, just do the right thing. Right. And it's simple, right? Just do the right thing. You want to, mm -hmm. and then you can dive into that deeper. You want to do right by the patient ethically. You know, you want to do right by yourself. Like if you, you know, you're doing something wrong you get that gut feeling in it. Yeah. If that's what you get, you're probably not doing something right. So I always try to abide by that gut feeling. I think I'm a pretty morally positive person and uh, my, you know, threshold for immorality is kind of sensitive. So I always try to follow that gut feeling, do what's right for the patient. Don't scam anybody. Don't cheat anybody. If you can do that and just be a good person, no matter what you do, religion, creed, you know, profession, just be a good person. I think you'll end up fine, right? It doesn't matter what you believe. Mm -hmm. Just be a good person, right? That's what's going to get you farthest in life personally. And I guess, um, enjoy life as, as you kind of proceed through it. I mean, everything's tough. People have it worse than you try to take a step back and realize that we're very fortunate people, you know, mm -hmm. to be born where we are and positions we're at having the knowledge and, you know, uh, ability to do whatever we want to do is, is powerful. Right. And that's just a lot of that's just from being born in a specific area in a mm -hmm. country or whatnot and a lot of people don't have those advantages so don't complain you know i think i read something on one of those instagram fact sites like 85 percent of what people worry about doesn't hasn't, come true doesn't even right? happen yeah right so like i, you're, I like you're, what you're saying it's like enjoy the journey because right. we, there's an end you know dental school ends your residency ends you know there's we're always like if you wait for everything to be done and like tied up neatly it never That'll is. be your whole life. So you have to right. enjoy the, the process right. because and where if, you are. If, if you're, yeah. you, no matter what you're doing, right? If you're driving yeah. a truck, you know, that's not the means to the end. But no. if you're doing it at the moment, there's not much you can do else about it. But right. be positive and try to enjoy it. Being grumpy and mm -hmm. hating life and it doesn't really do anybody any good, including yourself or your family or, you know, never that negative energy is always, you know, but... That's kind of what I try to do. Mm -hmm. Obviously, 
Are you a very positive person, do you think? You seem like you I are. I try to be. Yeah. Okay. Because I've seen so much, you know, what can go wrong and like the harshness of reality. Like even in my limited experience, obviously I'm young and, you know, haven't seen the tragedies of, you know, war and mm-hmm. devastation in third world country, anything like that. But like when you're in that trauma bay and like someone's leg is like blown off or, you know, yeah. macerated and they're uptunded and out, like you see like the harsh reality of like society and life or gunshot wounds, victim on victim crime, you know, and you got the two individuals on either end of the recess bay that were just shooting at each other. And it's, you see all that. And well, it puts kind of, it in perspective. in perspective. There's that, that Helen Keller quote that I love. I was, she says, I was feeling bad because I didn't have shoes. And then I met, met a man who had no feet. You know there that you quote? Go. Exactly. It's always it's like, worse. Yeah, it always could be worse. It's Yeah, and it's, you know, it, yeah, it always could be worse. And that's, it's okay to feel bad about certain things. We all do it. Life right. gets hard, you know, things happen, but. Get overwhelmed, yeah. Yeah, but it's always good to be like, okay, well, I do have control. I have an education, a degree, you know. And when you can take a step back and yeah. try to remember that. Mm-hmm. So I think those are the key things that, at least I believe, kind of got me over. So like leaving residency, joining Summit been mm-hmm. great for the past you know four years as we're talking about and now you're about to be a partner yeah yeah congratulations that's amazing. That's yeah great. right so that's like the fruits of the labor right so i become partner in july that's yeah. something that i've been eager for and uh i was offered that that opportunity by the partners um yeah to this july and i'm excited to see that coming we're doing big things you know where mm-hmm. the growth is a priority we you know Five locations, right? Currently five locations. Okay. We've got six surgeons on our roster right now. We've got How many are partners? Oh, I thought there was more. So we've got two more coming. Okay. So uh, there's four partners currently. Okay. Uh, are you one of Greg, those or you'll I be the fifth? I will be the fifth. Okay. So Greg Thomas, John Hackenberger, Mike Kramer, mm-hmm. and Russell Scalfani are the current partners. I'll be the fifth one. We also have... Uh, Myself and Claude LaRose are associates. We okay. both graduated from the same program. Nicest guy in the world. Uh, a guy named David Koviak, who was... No, I went to, he graduated with me. Right. So David? He, yeah. Okay. So he graduated the Ascension program, the sixth year that I graduated from a couple years ago. I went down to North Carolina. Didn't work down there. He's from Gross Point. He's with you guys now. He's going to be joining no way. us in June, yeah. What location? Gross Point. So he's going to be, I don't know. I think it's like Warren and maybe Gross mm. Point. So okay. It's still TV. Tell him I said hi. I haven't we'll talked to him in like yeah. eight years. You'll probably be able to. Yeah. Hopefully not send too many people. No, <laughs> do you guys still. I, I only not. send to you. Do you guys I really do. The, do you guys still have the party? The, yeah, the cocktail party. The cocktail so obviously, party, yeah. I'm never invited. Yeah. I'm no, a loser. Last time you stood up on the bar and took your shirt off, that was a little too much. We had I know. I was kind of overweight back then. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you when we're done with the podcast. I'll show you a picture of me and my staff at that party. I think you say with your shirt off. I was like, okay. No, it was, <laughs> they did one. It's a great party. You know what? I keep like, I would like joke. A wedding, the first I would day. joke with Greg, like, can I just get invited to the party again? Like, even though I'm not a referring dentist, I have some pull why in this not? profession, Absolutely. you know? Come on. Why not? If my old partners it. aren't so, there, I'm coming this Christmas. You know what? I'm going to angle for us it's to get invited to the party. Yeah. This is the invite so right fun. here. So fun. Yeah. The, it's usually beating up around microphone this today. time, right? Uh, May and the first time I went it was like a wedding. It was like a banquet hall. It was at like the San Marino Club. Yeah, or San something. Marino Club. It's fun when it's at a yeah. bar. Like they rent a whole bar. Right. Yeah. So this we kind of been toying around the idea of um, there's a place called the Hub. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the axe mm-hmm. throwing. Axe throwing. We're thinking about renting that out. Thought that'd be pretty cool, but it's pretty, you know, divided. Yeah, and the place is huge. There's that Jimmy John's Field where That's the baseball fine. field is. Van Dyke or Utica. Yeah, yeah you can okay. rent that whole thing out. So I think the details on it's going to be in the fall, maybe September. Greg's house. Greg's house. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have a quick story. Yeah. So the first year I went to that, they had you. You came in and you put a raffle ticket. In like you know, yeah. I think women put it in one, and men put it in the boxes. Yeah, yeah. And I won that purse right there. I still carry it. It's a Louis Vuitton bag. I won that at the summit party. That's amazing. My very first one. I was like, what? Yeah. What, what if a guy would? I guess give it to his wife. Well, there was a female and oh, a and male yeah, bucket. So there's different, yeah. Like, okay. There's baseball tickets, autograph stuff. It's... Did they know you identified as a female when you? Went? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was funny because I'm like, you know, I was standing there, I don't know, having drinks with whoever, and. They announce my name and I'm like, oh no, what I do? You know, and I go yeah. up and they hand me this box. Come to the, prin- be, come to the principal's office. And I think I had just become friends <laughs> with Leslie and she was like, you bitch, you know, I wanted, I wanted that. Well, she, I think the award was for most root tips sent to an oral <laughs> Right. <laughs> I was a high referral at the time. That was a stack deck. Yeah. yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. They're like, no, she sends us a lot of business. You think it's going to be some like it was cool. dink, It was uh, super fun. Yeah. Gift, but, but I still carry like it around. Hardcore yeah. gifts. Like, I was like, wow, I thought it was going to be like some random raffle but it's like autograph pictures this and that it was a really fun party on top of it it'll it'll be so we wanted to that's good stuff usually do it in the spring we wanted to do it in the fall when the two new so so the second associates coming from utmb which is a texas-based residency program can you tell us their name or david sanzik i don't know who that is. yeah so he grew up in gross point um i think he went to ud mercy dental and then he went to utmb which is a texas program for Oral maxillofacial surgery. So he's coming back. He's joining our group in July. So okay. Oh, wow, good for you guys. A lot of growth coming. That's awesome. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, potentially, yeah. you know, we're always trying to like stay ahead of the equity firms that are trying to buy everyone. Yeah, so we just like, the last podcast right before yeah. you, we talked all about it's, that. That's tough. And um, you know, I'm a big fan of of Greg Thomas. I've always liked I him. Think everybody was, is a big fan. Of Greg. He was great <laughs> when I started. Um, you know, when I bought my first practice, we had, you know, we just like. He spent a lot of time, you know, just helping me out as a business he's a owner. Mentor. He's yeah. he's awesome. And um and you know, we became friends over the years and I've you know, I have a lot of respect for him. Yeah, I have the and pleasure I, of, you know, yeah, working with he's him great. closely. So I'm at the Rochester office, so I was just with him this morning mm-hmm. with him uh, Mondays as well. Yeah. Please and, tell him I said hi. He's, like, he's yeah. hilarious. He's he's so funny. He is funny. Yeah. You asked him to be on the podcast. He's like he's like low key funny. Yeah. Like you wouldn't expect it. You'd he is. It's kind of stiff. It's a little surprising. Cold, but he's You're very like, oh, warm. He's and yeah. I like him a lot. Staff. And you know, I did I ask was, him to be on the podcast. He said, "I don't care about your Nintendo." Then he hung up. Yeah. He's like, "What is this?" He thought it was a TikTok. You know what? I don't want to do TikTok. No, thank you. You know what I said? I'm like, "You'll come on the podcast." He will eventually. I was like, "Okay." I'll, I'll keep you asking. So, you know, he was a, an attending. That's I, I was part of this program that these guys were always training all the uh, attendings at Summit mm-hmm. train with the residents and or help the residents with their training. So I was like a resident, know these guys for a lengthy amount of time. So, like, eventually when it came time for me to start looking for jobs, they, you know, approached me and kind yeah. of courted me. So it's been a... It's like a known evil, right? So they yeah. knew who I was for six years or five years at that point. And that's kind of like, that's the nice part about, you know, the residency program. You get to yeah. see, you know. if you, They recruited you. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, since then, it's been like better than I expected. You know, you, you always hear things and you're yeah. kind of concerned about it. Rumor mills and this and that. But 
I was pleasantly surprised yeah. uh, when I arrived there and it's been everything that I hoped it would be, you know, in prior practice and, you know, yeah. things never work out. Like for example, Dave's coming, uh, Koviak's coming back from, you know, wherever he's coming from. I don't know the circumstances why he left, but you know, anything mm-hmm. happens, things happen yeah. for all from all different facets. Well, Leslie still has very good things to say about Summit. She's been, yeah, I, you, you know, know it was unfortunate. You know, I started like right before she left. Yeah. And I was pretty bummed to hear that, you know, because yeah. she's a total badass. Like, yeah. She, you know, for to do what she did, Cincinnati's no, you know, slug of a program. That's a tough program. Uh-huh. It's like she was kind of saying, it's an old boys club, you know, military oh, yeah. based uh, program cookie, director, though. Bob Marciani. Like, that's not an easy program for her to get through that, you know, to anybody for, for the, get through that. I spent two weeks of the externship down there when I was a dental student. So I got a lot of respect for her. And she, like the fact that she took trauma call at, at Sinai Grace and, mm-hmm. you know, wasn't afraid of it. All the guys that like, that's kind of like the, my litmus, you know, if you took call at Sinai Grace, you were just like, you're a good guy. You're like, yeah. Good surgeon that cause, street street cred right street yeah. cred right so that's like who you emulate and who you try to be like so I'm trying to be that for the residents now you know I'm, yeah I don't go to Santa Grace but you know I go to other couple other level one hospitals and hopefully you know in 20 years when you know some other person's doing this podcast in my position they can say mention my name that's kind of like the goal you yeah. know and then they will everything that I do along the way is you know helping people helping patients and trying to be a better human being and enjoy life at the same time. And as, a, as much as anybody else can, you know? Yeah. Well, you have yeah. such a good reputation. I always tell our guests that come on here cause maybe you don't hear it enough. Um, I would say that to everybody. I, no, I, we, well, do you know Ross Ryan? He's an endodontist. Yeah. I've seen that. Okay. Name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jake yeah, sharing yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, you as well. You have such a good reputation with other professionals, dentists, other mm-hmm. specialists too. It doesn't get back to you. I'm sure it doesn't because no one's calling you and saying, Archie, we love you. Right. Maybe just me. But <laughs> I, get tw- that. I love that morning text every morning. It, it yeah. gets me going every morning. Um, like never text sure. back. Um, but you do. In 20 <laughs> years, your number, people, <laughs> listen to this guy. In 20 years, people are going to be talking about how they respect you, how they read about you. Seriously. The podcast will be going in 20 years. Sometimes I think yeah. about like Hollywood, you know how they always have these award shows for each other and they're always like, yeah. you know, stroking each other's ego. Like we need to do that in dentistry. Right. Like you best crown prep. Except best. the Emmy and then. You yeah. Know. And you can like. Well, you say best crown prep. Every dentist will walk up together. Right. They think it's them. Just See, so they're like, it's like, me, that's obviously. the problem with like sometimes the field and the, you know, at least with oral maxillofacial surgery, how it's kind of transitioning from like the old regale, old guard yeah and it's been transitioned to the young guys so like the all the old guys hate each other from the the rival group right 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 so like this group hates that group this group hates and this they group sh- they shouldn't and it's all yeah. because of like this old mentality and now like you see all these young guys that are like all cool with each other like i cover for people at other offices right you know and you know if there's any issues they cover for me like and this is a lot of this is kind of done at the hospital but like someone needs to take a week of call and need to switch someone they'll switch it and yeah. help each other out whereas historically i don't think that's i'm glad that's gone away but yeah it's it's going yeah. away i mean in my profession too you you heard like i'm i'm working with other brokers mm-hmm. that was unheard of right i mean i'm i kind of started that with like what's the problem with well, so I thought it's like they split commission. That would be the biggest. Right. Well, yeah, you split commission, but do twice as many deals or do them faster. Like Who cares? There's enough to go around. Yeah. It's kind of like yeah. uh, Dr. Toff, who's 
one of the biggest mentors in our residency program. He's retired now. Yeah. He's just like, there's plenty to go around. There always, and, yeah. Know, and and it's, he's like one of the, he's the exception to the rule. I feel like in one of those cases, he trained at Sinai and like huge asset to the residency program. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, that's what he said. There's plenty to go around. What's, yeah. And when you work with over, other people, yeah. good things happen. Like right. different, you'll get spinoff deals right? Yeah. in my business, you know, like. Well, know, the more people you help, the more people help you too. Yeah. Right. Not, sorry to cut you off. Absolutely. Can go no. wrong. Like, so if you look at, let's just take, uh, the insurance companies, right? So if you band together and mm-hmm. try to say, hey, we're kind of like going for the same rates and trying to get reimbursed at better rates as opposed to just fighting each other, yeah. you know, that's the whole reason that you have these groups uh, that uh, go to Capitol Hill and, you know, try to fight legislation for things. You get more done as a team. Yeah. So I'm glad that's, you know, in this community, Metro Detroit, it's been great. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, good. Well, we had so much fun today. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we just went podcast. 21 minutes. Um, Sorry. Yeah. Minutes. No. Wow. Um, we're so grateful you came on. Yeah. Do you want to close yeah. with anything before we sign off? No, I can't believe it's episode 27. 27. 27. First yeah. 25 were just me and Jessica. So you yeah. just are second. <laughs> <Nice. laughs> just us talking to each other. Um, Anyways, sometimes was, you got to do that. Success. I mean, good Good luck with this podcast. Thank you, man. Thank you. I want to I want to plug um everyone's business real quick. Okay. So we'll start with Archie. Um, okay. Lee Hall. Lee Hall. Lee Hall. Am I saying yes. that right? Okay. Um, is it Summit Oral Surgery? So it's Summit Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery. Summit Oral and Max. Thank you. Um, so we have five locations: Warren, Gross Point. Warren's our flagship office. Gross Point. Okay. Uh, Macomb's our newest office in regards to freshly built. That's at uh, Twenty Three Hayes, and we got Rochester and Romeo. Um, being a partner in July is going to be great. We're looking for continued growth. We got two new associates coming on board. Uh, we're always trying to like stay ahead of the curve and continue to grow mm-hmm. and serve the community. So, you know, next few months, more news potentially coming. So it's an exciting time to, to be part of that group as an associate, but let alone a partner in the next several months, it's going to be really exciting. So I appreciate you guys yeah. having me on. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for, you know, inviting me and, and whatnot. And, um, thanks for that plug. Appreciate yeah, it. yeah, you're absolutely. welcome. And I'm, um, Dr. Jessica Gall with total transitions, practice sales. You can find me at ttpracticesales.com. And I'm, I'm here with Dr. Vince Buscemi, CEO and sole podcast or two face the <laughs> podcast. And, uh, we're signing off. Thank you. All right. Have a good night.